Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about G.K. Chesterton. That's right. We're joined by Dale Alquist from the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton to talk about the works, the life of this important prophet that we need to hear about in these days. Now, some free advice from G.K. Chesterton. When giving treats to friends or children, <laughs> give them what they like. Emphatically, not what is good for them. <laughs> I think so here's the show. <laughs> We're off to a good start already. <laughs> I want some treats, man. Dale, welcome. Uh, you are the president of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton, correct? That's correct. That's absolutely <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> you know, we've been wanting to do an episode on Chesterton for a while because Chesterton is one of the most gifted and honestly, probably the most enjoyable writer that I've ever experienced. Oh, yeah. There is no writer, even Pope Benedict or any of the great masters, that is maybe a more enjoyable and honestly dense and fruitful read than Chesterton. You know, a lot of times I, I liken reading his books to like, it's like drinking from a fire hose because every single sentence is so completely dense and articulate and has all these great, wonderful phrases. Uh, it, so we want to talk about to him today and, you know, having... Dale Alquist, the president of the Gilbert Keith Chesterton Society. Ah! We've been having, we've been struggling saying that today. Ah. We have Dale with us. <laughs> hey, Dale. Talk Chesterton. You know, Chesterton has, as you're as you're describing, he has this amazing coercive precision to really aim at the truth in such an enlivening way that when you're when you're crossing his words and you're you're following along his thought patterns it's so appealing and and that precision is so enlightening i mean every time you pick up chesterton you're about to learn something profound right. well a book cuz you couldn't pick up chesterton the man well i think you know i've been working on my legs i've been doing squats but you know dale how did you first get introduced to chesterton yeah. and you know when did he spark your interest just like anybody else, Father, I started reading Chesterton on my honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real romantic. <laughs> yes, um, and, uh, like any good Baptist, I went to Rome on my honeymoon, too. Oh, yeah. wow. Paradoxes. So, uh, I think these are you know, prefacing your, your work later in life. Yeah, so I go, uh, I brought my wife with me on honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, wow. We've got we've got the relic from uh, right there on your right. Yeah, he got shot on our honeymoon. That's what he did. <laughs> wow. So he, so this this relic that was uh, touched to a reliquary in Cleveland by Sheil uh, is a third class relic of the blood that that uh, exited his body there in St. Peter's Square. Um, and we commemorated that, you know, for the 40th anniversary this past May 13th, 2021. So you were there on May 13th, 1981 for your honeymoon. And you brought your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the key. I brought a book by G.K. Chesterton. So uh, 
that's when I started reading Chesterton. Was in Rome on my honeymoon. Wow. On the day that Pope John Paul II. Was wow, so, that's amazing. What book was it? It, it was the Everlasting Man. Ah. That's a great and, one. Uh, the, reason I, the reason I started with that book was because as an evangelical Christian, I was a big C.S. Lewis fan. Mm. And C.S. Lewis, uh, just paid tribute over and over again to Chesterton, but that was the particular book that led him to Christianity. He was an atheist until he read The Everlasting Man. Wow. And uh, he later said... Uh, the young man who's serious about his atheism cannot be too careful about what he reads. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, Everlasting uh, Man is a wonderful book, and it's kind of this anthropology of the religiosity of the human being. And it goes through, you know, why particular people do particular religious practices. Uh, it's such an, a fascinating book. I mean, I don't think I can do it justice describing it, but mm -hmm. that is a book I completely recommend. But I just read God that, that we have Dale who can actually provide. Well, he, as the president <laughs> of the Gilbert Keith Chesterton Society, I didn't think there's very few people more qualified to do so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's an outstanding book. It, it, um, it is it's divided into two parts, B.C. and A.D., uh, it, it describes history leading up to the time that uh, Jesus steps onto the stage of history and everything that happened since. But it shows, he, he, he combines, as you said, the anthropology combines mythology and uh, science and poetry, literature, theology, philosophy. It brings it all together and shows how everything converges uh, in Jerusalem. Wow. And then what happens afterwards cannot possibly be explained unless Jesus is who he said he was. That's right. And basically this is you know, this is where C.S. Lewis got his arguments for, for a book like here for Christianity. So what did that book do to you on your honeymoon? I mean, did, did your wife get jealous? Well, you know, I had... Uh, you know, I have to say now that I, I've been married to, to Chester as long as I've been married to my wife. <laughs> and she, she says that the three of us have gotten along very well. <laughs> I, I realized that I had encountered a writer unlike any I'd ever read before. I graduated from a well-regarded well, uh, liberal arts college, and I, I thought that my education was a complete fraud, that I had never been exposed to a writer like this. Some who put it together, everything I'd read up at that point was very narrow and very inadequate, frankly. And here's one who seemed to answer all the questions that everybody else was asking. Uh, and it just it began a, a, a lifetime of passionate uh, uh, search for more Chesterton. I, you know, back in the early 80s, most of Chesterton's books were out of print. I had to find them in used bookstores. And one thing led to another. I did a master's degree on Chesterton and Chesterton then led me to the Catholic Church. I started the uh, Chesterton Society, which was formally called the American Chesterton Society. Much easier to say. <laughs> it is, but we, we made it uh, a more difficult name because of people like you. <laughs> well, I'm doing my part. I'm doing you my part. You gotta weed them out, you know? <laughs> and, I, and then I had the great privilege of being invited to do a television series on EW10 about Chesterton, and that really helped create... Um, much greater interest, uh, exposing a really a new generation at Chesterton, and then his his books started coming back into print, and 
it's been uh, just been a marvel since then. So, for people who really don't know who we're talking about, could you give a brief overview of? Of who G.K. Chesterton was, where he is from, when he was alive, what was kind of, you know, what did he do? Who, who is this uh, man who has such an aptly named society named after him? <laughs> sure, he's an Englishman from the early 20th century. He was born the, uh, towards the end of the 19th century. Uh, started to uh, write in, right at the beginning of uh, in 1900, his career began. And uh, he died in 1936, so... The first third of the of the 20th century is when he was alive and writing, and during that time he wrote a hundred books. He wrote uh, lots of poetry. He wrote some very famous detective stories, the Father Brown mysteries. But he was primarily a journalist, and he wrote for the the London papers, and uh, very prolific. He wrote thousands of essays, and immensely popular in his own time, uh, and he. He sprang onto the literary scene as, as this witty and paradoxical thinker, and everybody wanted to read Chester because of all his great one-liners. And uh, he, he kept, you know, kept being quoted back and forth from newspapers from one to the other during his lifetime. But then he shocked the world in 1922 when this leading literary light and gigantic intellectual, both physically and mentally, uh, was received into the Catholic Church. Uh, a lot of people were very shocked. A few people were shocked because they thought he already was Catholic. But uh, most people were shocked that, that someone that smart would do something that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, went out to become a, a leading a Catholic apologist. Uh, and that's when he wrote books like The Everlasting Man. He wrote a book on St. Francis of Assisi. Hmm. One on St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and... Uh, his his great fame really faded after his death, and now this revival has, has been taking place the last uh, few decades. So he, he went from just huge popularity to obscurity, and now his, his popularity is coming back again. And, and what people are realizing now about him is that he was absolutely prophetic. He seemed to be writing about the time that we are living in, even more than the time that he lived in himself. He, he saw the, the downfall of public education coming. He, he saw the rise of the sexual revolution coming. He saw the downfall of the, the breakup of the family, which would lead to the breakup of society. He called all these things in an amazingly prescient way. That's why he is... He's much better to read today than the newspaper. What you're capturing, Dale, is is the sense of like his his prophetic utterances, and I know Bishop Barron has called G.K. Chesterton a model for the new evangelization as well. Um, I'm I'm a pastor of a community where we are growing exponentially. We're up to 3,300 families, and, and I have the wonderful task by the bishop to uh, design a sanctuary and a campus along with the church. And my bishop, Bishop Polmeyer, is very uh, enthusiastic about the new evangelization. I personally am very enthusiastic about the new evangelization, and. 
if you know any Catholic philanthropists too, on an aside note, that can help me financially build this thing, please send them my way, Dale, because I need to gather as many enthusiastic Catholics as well for this effort. But can you can you share from the prophetic side of G.K. Chesterton, how can we contextualize a new evangelization from his teachings and help me as a pastor in the programming of these buildings and these efforts? One of the things that Chesterton saw as a prophet is that we are, you know, now living in a in a post-Christian society, and that uh, to to be a to be a Christian, to be a Catholic, is um, a, a now an outrageous thing. It's it's going against the grain. And uh, one of his wonderful lines, and this is from the Everlasting Man, is that the the dead thing goes with the stream, the living thing goes against it. And we really are, as Catholics, right now in 2023, the living thing going against the stream. And you know, we are we are finding countercultural again, like we were in the first century. <laughs> and uh, that gives us uh, that gives us a great drive and a, a great enthusiasm. But we have to be prepared to suffer for our faith too, as a result. But Chesterton's point about martyrs is that they're happy to be Catholic. Is, is a joyful experience, and uh, because you're not upset and downtrodden by the fads and fashions of the time, truth is going to outlast all those things, and and that's why Chester was so secure in his writing because he he could see the fashions coming and he could see them going, and he predicted the next one. Uh, for the new evangelization, one of his great evangelistic tools is his joy. G.K. Chesterton is a maker of converts. I, I have a list of over 500 people uh, who became Catholic because of their encounter with Chesterton. In fact, I, I, wrote, a, I wrote a book about it called uh, My Name is Lazarus. It's a, it's a collection of testimonials from former Jews, Muslims, agnostics, atheists, and all different breeds of Protestants who they had an encounter with Chesterton. He, he brought them to the Catholic faith. Wow. And even though he's, he's, he's got that great wit, he has a way of answering all the objections. It's his joy and his goodness that, that people are drawn to. And that, it's that joy and goodness that comes out in his writing. And that's, what, that's what's so attractive. We have to remember, we're not, we're not, you don't evangelize with a sword. Um, you, you make the truth attractive, and that's why people want it. People want what Chesterton has. When you're reading him, and that's the way we have to be as Catholics. That's why he is the model of the new evangelization. Witness to joy. That's it. You know, and I, one of my favorite quotes by Chesterton is that tradition is the democracy of the dead, and that the dead still are able to have a say in the way that society yeah, is excellent. going now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now that we are countercultural, now that we are the living thing swimming against the stream, leaning on tradition with people like Chesterton with people like church fathers, like people from the Middle Ages, or people even from 50 years ago before our kind of society went crazy, allows us to continue to have them have a voice in the things that we do and that we can utilize them in the new evangelization. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. The new evangelization is the old evangelization with new vigor, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's one of the things that we can learn from Chesterton, and this is a great point, is his joy and his geniality and his his vivaciousness. And I think that's something that we've always strived to do on this show is be, be, you know, fools for the <laughs> Lord, right? And have some fun with it all because the victory's already been won. And that's a great model. Chesterton, 
he has a he has a wink and a nod in his writing style that's very attractive mm. that people gravitate towards. And we could sit there and say, well, you're not in the church anymore. You're going to hell and, you know, lightning bolts from on high are going to strike you through the eyes. Or you could talk about, you know, beautiful and joyful things and why the tea kettle is much better than the electric stove. Things like that are much more attractive to people. It's, it's you know, honey and vinegar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about what most people read, and you alluded to it earlier, Dale, is that, you know, the news, the the, the cycle of news, the sensationalism of, uh, you know, our culture and, and people doing the wrong thing and being canceled. And and it's it's just like... It's so shallow and it's so it, it doesn't resonate with the human heart. It's just simply like some sort of uh, temporal reaction of, of a psyche. And 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 you, you read Chesterton and it's like this. I mean, I, I, I recall like the last time I read a Chesterton book, just sitting there and just pondering something and the depth of it and, and reading things like that really brings about joy. It, it brings about peace. Um, contemplation, you know, things that people aren't doing right now, you know. Mm-hmm. What this reminds me of, a big shout out to Father Bill Burton, uh, a Franciscan friar who's a scripture scholar and, and taught us in the seminary at St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary in Florida. But he expressed, you know, a question to the class. And he said, you know, what do you think led to the conversion of Rome and, and you know, that, that first deposit of, you know, the movements of hearts? And it was, it, it, we all kind of, you know, talked about preaching and like these great testimonies, the apostles coming in and, you know, their legacy and their ambassadorship. But he, he wound up responding, he's like, no. It was the joy and the witness of the martyrs being marched off to their death and they're singing songs of joy to God. Mm. And that being a contrast and a confrontational witness to the entire world. And and that's what was the catalyst to, you know, the the great response of that evangelization. Yeah. Conversion. You know, like you were saying, Ryan. So many of the things that we're fed today and so much of the media is junk food. And, it, you know, the reading of Massey. It's not even food. It's not even food. And it's like the things that enter us are not what spoil us. But the things that enter us through the modern media go right through the mouth and into the latrine in the words of Jesus, right? <laughs> because that's what they are. They're, you know, to not be crass, that's the cleanest way to say it. But Chesterton, his writing sticks to your ribs. Oh, it does. Peanut that's, butter. That is peanut butter food right there. Oh, you know? <laughs> We're talking chunky too. Chunky, chunky like the, peanut butter. Yeah, that's a good steak and a glass of wine, right? And a fat cigar. <laughs> so, Dale, what are if we can give the people listening? Let's name just a handful of books that are essentials by Chesterton, and really what the premise and the point of those books were. Well, uh, one of the questions I always get asked is where where do you where do I start reading Chesterton? And I, I do want to least take the opportunity to mention that I wrote two introductory books to Chesterton. I really do recommend people start with those. He can be a little bit of an intimidating author if you just read him cold. And I, I wrote a book called um, The Apostle of Common Sense and another one called Common Sense 101 Lessons from Chesterton. And the first one is an overview of his most important books. And the second one is Chesterton by theme. And they actually don't overlap. So they're they're supplemental to each other, but they each stand alone. So those are available on Chesterton.org, right? 
Yeah, Worcester.org. Don't buy them from a river in South America. Okay? That's it. Yeah, we'll make sure we put links on there. Not the Catholic apostle. That's All it. Right, so, that, so just to recap here. So the realplata.com is not where you go for this. <laughs> All right, so you're not supposed to start by getting married and taking your wife on a honeymoon. Just want to make sure everybody knows. Yeah, that's, that's not the way to start. So, so the, the essential chest is what's well. Um, we, we, the, the first one we'd have to recommend would, would be um, Orthodoxy. And that is a book that you've already kind of described the, the sensation of reading Chester. You, you know, one, one great one-liner just knocks you flat, and then you pick up, you pick up the page again, and there's another one. Mm-hmm. You've gotten through this book, you've underlined the entire book. <laughs> Don't go it. <laughs> Orthodoxy is my favorite Christian book of all time. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite book I've ever read. So it, it is a book that you have to reread uh, because of the fact that you you underlined an entire book and if you didn't know what you just read, you go back and read it again. Uh, because he has all these showstoppers uh, as he builds his article. What he's saying basically is that modern philosophy, modern religion, they all... They, not only do they lead to um, insanity, they're all self-destructive. And Christianity is the most sane approach to life. And he basically takes every aspect of thought and shows how the, the Christian view is the right one and the other ones fall short. When you read it, you know, you can say, well, this is defending the Catholic Church. G.K. Chester was not a Catholic when he wrote the book. And I defy anybody to figure out what is not Catholic about the book. There's maybe one line that indicates he's not a Catholic. Otherwise, he's defending the Apostles' Creed, the historic church. He's criticizing um, Calvinism and predestination. So it's it's an incredible book uh, in, in defense of the Catholic faith that is not written by a Catholic. And yet... I was a Protestant when I first read it, and I didn't find anything offensive to me when I read it. So it is an ecumenical book as well, uh, and, and really uh, is is um, the trunk of the tree, I would have to say, that all, all the other Chesterton books are somehow connected to that. You know, when I read Orthodoxy and I found out that he wasn't Catholic when he wrote it, it almost felt like he had con- he wrote a book and read it back to himself and converted himself, you know, like Chesterton... <laughs> Is a Chestertonian convert, you know. It's it was a, it was a really interesting thing because you're right. It is so Catholic, but he wasn't Catholic. It is so logical that when you're presented with, it, you're like, dude, this just makes sense, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost irrefutable. Um, many many non-Catholics have found that that's the book that led them to the Catholic Church, and that happened even in Chesterton's lifetime. Some. Some of the famous converts of the early 20th century read Chesterton and became Catholic before he did. And one of those would be Monsignor Ronald Knox. Mm-hmm. And another one, uh, Christopher Dawson. So two, two major Catholic writers and thinkers who read Chesterton and became Catholic before Chesterton did. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's phenomenal. What, uh, so what about, like, <clears throat> for our listeners that are kind of wondering... Um, approaching uh, some of his works uh, for kids, like, 
you know, what kind of age? Is there anybody that has written books to kind of make it more accessible to children? Where, where do you guys, what do you guys hear about that? Yeah, um, first of all, we, uh, we developed an American translation of orthodoxy. That's a good help. Yeah, American <laughs> translation. Um, I, I saw that book. I, I've I seen that. I understand well, that. Be, you know, let him explain. This book you can only get from Chesterton.org. You cannot even buy it from a river in South <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you've ever read that, I mean, there's so many references to very local and very temporal things of England in the 1920s. And it's like, well, Mrs. So-and-so and this person, this person, and it, you know. I mean, oh, you know, you gotcha. Know. So there's British rep references, or yeah, okay. yeah. So those are those are not there anymore. Those have been taken out. Yeah. <laughs> and just the, we just have the flow of Chester's arguments uh, in mostly his own words. We change a few words here and there to make them even more clear to a uh, 21st century American audience. But this is an excellent way for uh, you know older teens to be introduced to Chesterton. And even older people than that, it's a it's a much easier read of, of orthodoxy. Uh, and you know there are for, for very young readers like nine ten year olds. We yeah, uh, one of our members, Nancy Brown, has edited several of Father Brown's stories to make them more accessible to young young. Good. Those are also available at Chesterton.org. So you're thinking like college age teenagers or yeah, college age can, can read this 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 version of orthodoxy will help them too, but. Another way to introduce um, readers to, to Chesterton is um, a collection of essays that uh, uh, that uh, I edited and put together with a couple of Englishmen, Joseph Pierce and Aidan Mackey. And it's, it's called In Defense of Sanity, The Best Essays of G.K. Chesterton. And that's available from Ignatius uh, Press, and it's also on our website. And that's you know, Chesterton was primarily an essayist. That's what, that's how that was his bread and butter, and that way you could take him in short bits, you know, in, in, in twelve hundred words at a time, and pick it up and lay it down, and that uh, is another great way to be introduced to some pure Chesterton. You know, great in defense of sanity. So getting back to the, these list of essentials, you know, we we you know did the in defense of sanity, we did orthodoxy. What else is the the non negotiable, non avoidable Chesterton canon? Well, uh, certainly his his books his books on the two saints, the Saint Francis of Assisi book and Saint Thomas Aquinas. Uh, Saint Francis was the first book he wrote after his conversion. It's truly um, a love story. Uh, in fact, he says, you know, for, for Francis, religion was not um, you know a matter of theology; it was a love affair, and he he brings out. An aspect of St. Francis that most, most people haven't thought of before, and it really explains what a mystic is, which is a hard thing to understand. And Chesterton, I believe, only could have explained it because he had a there's a mystical element to Chesterton himself. The other the other uh, thing about that book is that Francis really played a role in Chesterton's conversion. That he said he always had a devotion to Francis long before he became a Catholic himself. So mm. Francis really is one of those universal saints. Uh, and, and that's a, a wonderful uh, book. Very, not a long book at all. And then his book on St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, he talked about one great mind writing about another great mind. Uh, he, he, he distills Thomism in 
in just one book, um, the great Thomistic scholar uh, from the 20th century, Etienne Gilles, said it was the it's the best book ever written on Saint Thomas. Wow! I mean, every Catholic should have some kind of familiarity with Saint Thomas. This is this is the book you have to pick up at some point. I have that one in queue next. It's sitting on my uh, sitting Great. on my desk. That's the next one. I'm up. just I'm just making notes here about all the books <laughs> I want to buy. And again, Ryan, all those books are available at Chesterton.org, which is the official website of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton, which Dale Elquist is the president. So let's continue. That was with well it. said. Thank you. <laughs> I, I feel like talking about Chesterton, I become more eloquent by the moment, right? And I think my my enunciation and my grasp and command of it is continuing to grow. So as is your wit, as is your wit. <laughs> Thank I'm, you. I'm curious though, Dale, you know, the, the society that we've been, we've been speaking about <laughs> so, since the beginning, is this something that, that people can like formally be a part of, or, you know, how do you, how do you gather and, and what is the society all about? Sure. We, um, we do have a, a member, a membership organization. So you can join the society for just $5 a month. And you get the Gilbert magazine, the, the best magazine in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and then you're, you're supporting our work, which is two things, evangelization and education. We run the Chesterton Schools Network. I, I also had the hand of starting a classical Catholic high school a few years ago, which has just exploded into now 60 schools around the country. Wow. Yeah, the Chesterton schools are amazing, mm-hmm. and they are growing, and they're going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually did some work with that uh, through Fuzadi, uh, which we were very proud of. But, uh, you know, Chesterton schools, look, if you're looking for a classical education for your children, if you have one in your area, cannot recommend it enough. And I think we should, all three of us men, make the path that as soon as this episode is over, we're all going to sign up and become official members of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Are we on Because, well, I'm it's down. the best magazine in the world. <laughs> Why would you not want to subscribe <laughs> I mean, to something like for that? For $5 I mean, a month? That's just crazy. And look, for anybody else who's looking to join the Society, I'm going to put a link below and check it out. I mean, we're going to be members and we could be confreres in all this, so let's mm-hmm. do this together. Yeah, and the, you know, in respect to Bishop Barron and, and all throughout academia and the in the in the Catholic circles around top level universities, you know, there's a clear call from you know the bishops from from a number of people for the reform of education, mm-hmm. and to have this effort is just so associated with the beginnings of this new church in the name of Saint John Paul II here in Northeast Florida, and you know, my hope is I could find a patron that could support the library of our new evangelization center and our educational efforts among the young, mm-hmm. and let's name it G.K. Chesterton. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, if you're looking at education, because I know that's a big part of your project. And I think, Dale, this was the next book you're going to recommend in the essential books. The section on education, childhood education in The Everlasting Man is essential to read. If you were looking at education and the problems with it in today's world, which were the problems with it in 1920s and 30s England, it's essential to read because it tells you what is the real nature of education? What is the importance of education in such a way that uh, it should be mandatory reading for every person involved with education in the United States and across the English-speaking world? 
Yeah, you're, you're talking about the book What's Wrong with the World. That's that's where he has that section on education. See, ever, will you still have me as a member? <laughs> <laughs> Even though I, you're ousted. How did you know that? You're going to be a better member. <laughs> was the last book I read was that was the last book I just finished reading that like three weeks ago. <laughs> I, I botched the name. I'm ashamed. <laughs> I fall on my sword. Me. Most famous quotes are in What's Wrong with the World, in addition to that great section on education, but the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And, uh, and then the other line is always quoted in is, a thing worth doing is worth doing badly. And uh, that always, uh, you know, that's a good, typical Chesterton paradox. It, he, he surprised you because he does a little twist on it. But what he's talking about in that famous off-quoted, off mis, you know, misapplied line is that the thing worth doing is worth doing badly is a defense of the amateur. The amateur does things because they love doing it. That's what the word amateur means, a lover. And the professional might do it better than the amateur, but the amateur... It's still worth doing, even if he doesn't do it as well as the professional, right? So the thing worth doing is worth doing. But what he's defending there is uh, the mother, the mother of children. She, she does the work of an amateur. She's not a professional. She doesn't get paid for what she does. She does it out of love. And her work, of course, is essential in the society. Yeah, what's wrong with the world? I just finished reading that. What's wrong with the world? Not the everlasting man. <laughs> Kyle, can we just over... Here, I'm going to give you a very clean version. What's wrong with the world? Take that, cut it in, place it over the other one so I don't look so uh, unsuited for the membership in the society. Amateurish. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got this great breakdown of, of politics, of what's wrong with the relationships of men and how people view the relationships of men, what's wrong with the education of children, what's wrong, and I think this is a really important one, is what's wrong with the way that men and modern society view women, I think is particularly applicable mm. today, Yeah, because they basically show how... Even, I mean, at the time, it was being written around the suffragette movement and why women were asking for the right to vote. But they're like, the problem with the suffragette movement is that they're taking politics seriously when men have always treated it as a joke. Mm. You know, and there's all these great things that really get to the character and the nature of a woman in a much more elevated way than our modern society views women. And that, that, that was a really cool cha uh, chapter or segment of that book. Mm. So... Um, Continuing on with the list, I think we kind of de facto covered what's wrong with the world. What else would you recommend? <laughs> well, certainly um, we mentioned the everlasting man at the beginning of our conversation, and that has to go on the essential list as well, that um, the story of, of, uh, of Christianity and the, the history of the world tucked in between two covers of the book and showing that the main character in history is, is Jesus. Uh, but then uh, we have to, uh, of course, mention the Father Brown stories. Father Brown stories are a delight to read. Uh, they're, they're, they're fun mystery stories, but he does something in those stories that um, other detective stories don't do. Uh, first of all, he, he changed the whole course of detective fiction with the Father Brown stories because up until that time, everything was Sherlock Holmes and the super sleuth. And he brings in the underdog detective, the one who doesn't look like, like he's even capable of solving the crime, much less overcoming the obstacles. And 
Uh, and yet he sees that one thing that no one else sees. And yet, when I say no one else sees, that means no one in the story saw it, but you as the reader also didn't see it. And the great, he had the great shock of, of when the, the mystery is revealed, the solution is revealed, you, you feel stupid and smart at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Castro says that the detective story is the only story that is satisfactory when it makes you feel stupid. Stupid and smart at the same time should be our new motto. (laughs) (laughs) But but it shows why Chester is such a good writer, because what he does is he tells you what you already know, but you feel like you're hearing it for the first time. Mm. He's telling that's what common sense is. He's telling you what you already know, but it comes as a revelation. Hmm. And that's why it just is so resonating every time he does it. So he writes his detective stories really the same way he writes his essays. He just shocks you with the truth. Awesome. Just to give a, a context, you know, like the, the the delivery of Chesterton, you know, we've we've kind of alluded to it. We've described it. Um, what's your go to to just give an example of Chesterton's delivery? You know, do you go to orthodoxy uh, to to deliver that type of content, or do you go to the Everlasting Man? What what book do you draw from? What essay? And and could we get a little bit of Chesterton himself in the way that he so precisely delivers these uh, paradoxes? Well, you know, uh, obviously. You, you could pick up orthodoxy and start reading on any page. You wouldn't have to <laughs> Right. You, you Chesterton page. roulette. Just open it up and put yeah, your finger down. It's really true. But you can also, I, that's another reason why I do recommend the essays. Uh, the, the short, shorter reads, and you can uh, really get a sense of, of how he makes paradox work and, and the, the delight of the, sh- the shocking ending. So uh, an essay like The Twelve Men, or what I found in my pocket, or a piece of chalk, or on lying in bed. Those are all perfect <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. One of, one of my favorite is uh, from the thrilling romance of orthodoxy, uh, the end of chapter five. This is the thrilling romance of orthodoxy. People have fallen into a foolish habit of speaking of orthodoxy as sometimes heavy, humdrum, and safe. There never was anything so perilous or so exciting as orthodoxy. It was sanity. And to be sane is more dramatic than to be mad. (laughs) It was the equilibrium of a man behind madly rushing horses, seeping to stoop this way and to sway that, yet in every attitude having the grace of statuary and the accuracy of arithmetic. It is easy to be a madman. It is easy to be a heretic. It is always easy to let the age have its head. The difficult thing is to keep one's own. (laughs) It is always easy to be a modernist, as it is easy to be a snob. To have fallen into any of those open traps of error and exaggeration, which fashion after fashion and sect after sect set along the historic path of Christendom that would indeed have been simple. It is always simple to fall. There are an infinity of angels at which one falls, only one at which one stands. To have fallen into any one of the fads of Gnosticism to Christian science would indeed have been obvious and tame, but to have avoided them all has been one whirling adventure, 
And in my vision, the heavenly chariot flies thundering through the ages, the dull heresies sprawling and prostrate, the wild truth reeling but erect. Just love. Love that. It's amazing. So inspiring. I read that passage. That's a, that's a marvelous piece of his writing right there. And just to, just to clarify, that's at the end of the chapter called The Paradoxes of Christianity, not the Romance of Orthodoxy, but it's from Orthodoxy. Now my... my, uh, my yeah, now you're, you're no longer a card carrier. Only Cross is still in. You're still in. Well, and Howard, too. I'm just being yeah. quiet. He's the silent well, one. Well, I wouldn't I'm join any society that would have me. <laughs> or Howard. Or Howard. <laughs> You know, so I think one last thing I want. We're going to be welcome with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> you sweetheart, Dale. Five dollars a month covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last thing I wanted to talk about is the kind of the progress of the consideration, the consideration of the canonization of G.K. Chesterton, mm-hmm. yeah. which seems to have stalled. Really? Now, one of the things I said is that they had a hard time figuring out which feast day to give him because every day was his feast day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but. You can take well, that one. That's part of my dues. There. Um, we, we had, we've, brought, we've made a proposal to the Bishop of Northampton, um, Peter Doyle, uh, in Northampton, England, because that's where Chesterton uh, lived and that's where he's buried. And uh, he was about to retire and he said, I don't want to stand in the way of, of this of this process, but I'm not the one to open it. I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. Just me. He says it's, it's he was very apologetic to me, and, um, and he only he just wrote some private correspondence. He never made a public statement about it. So mm-hmm. um, he's retired now, and we're, we're talking to some other bishops, including the, the, the current bishop of Northampton. And I can tell you this: there is great interest in opening his cause. Excellent, so praise God. Bishops. So I think it's going to happen pretty soon. In the meantime, we, we do have a prayer card that you can get at Chesterton.org, and, and I think the, the prayer for his for his intercession is on the um, the website as well. But but we we've, we've passed out uh, tens of thousands of these cards, so there's a lot of people praying for his intercession right now, and we're seeing a lot of answers to those prayers as well. So that the worldwide devotion to Chesterton is continuing to grow, and good things are happening as a result. I think we will see the the cause opened uh, pretty soon, and and we're also hoping that in Chesterton's case, just as in uh, John Henry Newman's case, there'd be a dispensation so that only the things he wrote after his conversion would be necessary to, to study, because uh, Chesterton's the most Probably one of the most prolific writers who ever lived. I've been reading him for 40 years, and I'm not going to claim that I have read all of them. And so, <laughs> so if we, if we could just limit it to the 14 years that he was Catholic, just like they limited uh, Newman to the, the years that he was Catholic, we could poss- possibly see the work of the posh that completed in our life. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, I don't want this task, let's just skip it because that's a lot of work, you know? <laughs> yeah. What, what do they say? Bishops never want uh, <laughs> the Pope or the Blessed Mother to show up in their backyard. <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> it creates work. <laughs> a lot of work. Uh, so people are like, I'd rather take St. Joseph and analyze his works <laughs> than Chesterton's. <laughs> it sounds like a much easier job. I, you know, a lot of people don't know how, how canonization works, uh, but 
what's interesting is you know, a bishop has to open the cause, but the bishop really just has to answer a few questions when when people ask him. He doesn't really have to do the, the, all the work is done by the postulator, and then that work then goes to the congregation for saints in Rome. Uh, and do, do you guys know who appoints the postulator? Is it is it the bishop or is it the no? It's no? or is it the is it is it the CDF? Yeah, who? It's the petitioner. Really? Yeah, because it's the, the only reason the cause opens is because there's a there is a cult that goes to a bishop. We have a devotion to this to this person, and we would like you to consider him for or her for for beatification. And that's when the cause opened. And then the petitioner, who's the one making the case, the petitioner appoints the postulator. Has wow. to be approved by the bishop. But uh, when, so the Chesterton Society would be the one appointing the, the petitioner. Well, let me be the first to withdraw my candidacy as the postulator. <laughs> You're not even a member. <laughs> You're not even a member. Uh, so that would be something that you would have that direct involvement in. Um, is uh, okay. That's really interesting that to know. That is so cool. Yeah, thank you for that yeah, work too. Really, I think. Yes. Amen. I mean, I think Chesterton is a prophet and a saint, potentially that we need for our times. Mm -hmm. Right. The he, and his, a mind yeah. and a mind and a philosopher that's going to to really help us move into this new evangelization mm -hmm. and structure our response and our proclamation. So it's just a, a phenomenal yeah. uh, patron for that. Yeah, so... You know, one, one of Chester's great lines uh, is, the age is often converted by the saint who contradicts it the most. Mm. Mm. And I mm. think, um, you know, this is a guy who is a maker of converts, and he does contradict the age. It's excellent. That is a showstopper right it there. Is. Boom. You know, Dale, we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking Chesterton with us. And for all of our viewers and listeners, number one, first click, like, and subscribe on this video. We really appreciate it. Um, but go and check out Chesterton.org and get familiar with G.K. Chesterton. Buy these books, not from that Amazonian river, <laughs> but from this website and help support this apostle because it also helps support uh, the cause for his canonization. Um, and go and become a member. We're all going to do that now. Um, but I'll challenge every one of our listeners who has not read Orthodoxy. First, get those two books of preparation. Mm -hmm. Read Orthodoxy this year. I challenge you to do it and see if it does not change and open your mind up in a fantastic and joyful way, in a way that really it's fun and makes you think more and makes you appreciate the written word more. It makes you appreciate just the beauty of the mind more. So I want to challenge all of our readers to at least read Orthodoxy this year and to get it from Chesterton.org, which is the home website of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton, of which Dale Alquist is the president. You've knocked that out of the park. That was good. We're getting better Boom. at that. That was phenomenal. All right. And if, you know, we're going to conclude the show with the prayer that was referenced before. And if you would like to request a prayer card, simply go to Chesterton.org and you could request a prayer card and they'd be happy to send you one your way. And uh, so let us pray right. in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Father, you filled the life of your servant, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, with a sense of wonder and joy and gave him a faith which was the foundation of his ceaseless work, a charity towards all men, particularly his opponents. 
and a hope which sprang from his lifelong gratitude for the gift of human life. May his innocence and his laughter, his constancy in fighting for the Christian faith in a world-losing belief, his lifelong devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and his love for all men, especially for the poor, bring cheerfulness to those in despair, conviction and warmth to lukewarm believers, and the knowledge of God to those without faith. We beg you to grant the favors we ask through his intercession. I invite you now to pause and consider a particular intention. We pray that his holiness may be recognized by all and the church may proclaim him blessed. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that was a private devotion amongst us friends, right? <laughs> well, Dale, what a pleasure to have you on the show here. And to all of our viewers and listeners, thank you for connecting each week with the Catholic Talk Show. To our patrons, we would not be able to do this without you. Thank you for your financial support of the show. And if you're considering becoming a supporter of the show, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon. There you'll see every tier to support us, and we've got some cool gear to send your way. Until next week, let's stay Catholic, and let's stay an intrepid witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you. We'll see you next week.